0: Welcome to the Ashley and Jessicast. I started this podcast because of my love for Jessica and Ashley Simpson, but due to the support of my amazing listeners, I have been able to expand to other topics as well to feed my pop culture obsession and yours. Join me as we time travel through some of the most interesting figures in music, movies, TV, and beyond. I'm your host, Leah Russo. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ashley and Jessicast. The wait is over. We are back to Lindsay Lohan's life today. This is part 13 of my Lindsay series. So if you have not tuned in and heard the other parts, girl, do you have some catching up to do? (laughs) Today, we are going to focus on the 2012-2013 era of Lindsay's life. And this is going to be a tough one, guys. Honestly, there are just so many downs in this era and not as many ups. And I think if it wasn't for the fact that Lindsay was thriving so much right now. I'm recording this the week after she just released her brand new movie, Falling for Christmas. It would be almost impossible for me to get through if her status and her health and her career and her life was still the big question mark that it has been for the past few years. I think I I wouldn't even want to talk about this. But because she's doing so well I think it just makes this series more meaningful in the end because it's like, wow, look at all the things that she went through. And she's not only still alive, but she's doing so well. This era that I'm going to talk about today is really the last gasp of Lindsay insisting that she's a real actress and she wants to be taken seriously and she's getting back on the right track and she's focusing on her health and she's going to make great movies again. This is the last time that she was really still trying that until this year, right? After 2013, we barely saw her act at all. And I'm actually really excited to delve into the rest of this decade and take a closer look at why that happened and what she was doing in all of these interim years. But first we have to get through this era <laughs> and it's it's rough. Like I, we're all humans, right? We're all human beings. So I'm not claiming that I'm better than her, but Lord, are there so many just poor choices and egregious mistakes in this era. And my heart really goes out to her because I think people were just so fed up. Like I know me, even as a fan, I just really wasn't following her so closely anymore because it was just like painful. It was like every week it was like she got into a fight. She got arrested. She hit somebody with her car. She hit another truck with her car. She's called to court again because she violated her probation again she was so obviously struggling so much with substance abuse but at the same time she just insisted on staying in the public eye and working on projects and trying to still be the Lindsay Lohan movie star that we all grew up with and that person had evolved that person was no longer who she was and unfortunately the evolution wasn't the most positive at this point it just would have made so much sense for her to stop and really focus on her health and she would do that in a few years but in 2012 and 2013 she was still like hitting the pavement hard trying to have some kind of comeback as an actress and she really like it seemed like she was going to for a while, right? And then things went south. So the first thing that I'm going to read here is from right after her Playboy cover came out. And this is somebody that knew Lindsay as a child. She did a response to an article that had been written about her in the New York Times about, you know, why is she doing a Playboy spread or whatever. It wasn't the most positive article. And so this woman, Eileen Starger, wrote a response to it. She said, I first met Lindsay Lohan in 1997 when she was 11, and I was the casting director of the film The Parent Trap. I was struck by her talent, fresh charm, and innocence. She was and remains a gifted actress and a good human being. It is not for me to judge Ms. Lohan's choices or whether fame has been less than kind to her, but I have been greatly saddened by the way the media have chosen, with all the gloves off and with seemingly unbridled glee, to catalog her travails and setbacks. She is a sentient being, not a thing, not a commodity, not a punchline. Charles McGrath makes several salient points in his news analysis about the insatiable public demand in a 24 7 news cycle forever changed by the internet for gossip about and nearly complete access to celebrity lives. Perhaps people do indeed feel better knowing that wealth and fame do not confer a perfect life on anyone. Perhaps we need to idolize celebrities only to mercilessly reject them when their behavior disappoints us. I find it ironic that Ms. Lohan's decision to pose for Playboy for monetary reward is deemed morally dubious, while journalists and photographers profit by writing about and capturing images of her and other celebrities. Perhaps when reporting on and reading about celebrities who have lost their way, we will remember that these are very human people who, like us, make mistakes, endure misfortune, and have a chance, media coverage notwithstanding, to begin a new tomorrow. I thought that was beautiful and I was so happy that there was somebody standing up for Lindsay and publishing a positive article about her. And my favorite part is when she says I find it ironic that, you know, her her decision to pose for Playboy is looked down on because journalists and photographers profit by writing about and capturing images of her and other celebrities. It's it's almost like by posing for Playboy Lindsay was saying, "Oh, you want to see me? Like you follow me around constantly, you try to expose me left and right, you want to see me? Here I am. Here's my clothes off. I need the money." <laughs> and here it is. But she's knocked down for that. That's not okay. We want to expose everything about you, but when you take the control and say, okay, here you go, it's suddenly we don't, we don't like that, right? It's really not okay. In early 2012, Lindsay and her team are really all systems go when it comes to getting Lindsay on the comeback trail. She even scored a hosting gig on Saturday Night Live, her fourth and so far final time hosting the show. But my prediction is that she probably will host in 2023, especially now that Falling for Christmas has done really well and has been positively received and she has another film lined up. I'm almost positive that when Irish Wish, her next rom-com is released on Netflix, she will be back. I think that Lauren Michaels really has a place in his weird heart for her and I just think that it's inevitable that she's going to join the five-timers club for SNL but back in 2012 everybody was hotly anticipating like what's gonna happen with Lindsay next so she did an appearance on the today show and she was interviewed by Matt Lauer who really got straight to the point
1: simplest blunt question you're clean and sober yes I'm good and I'm clean and sober Yeah, yeah how long has that been Um,
2: it's been a while. It's been, it's been a long time. But I, and I, it's nice to feel that I have, I also have a lot of great people in my life that are in the same position. So I can always turn to them. And I've had great people that I can talk to at any time and that have helped me kind of figure myself out.
1: Can you go to the nightlife? Can you go to parties? Can you go to clubs without suffering the temptation that's going to get you into trouble?
2: Um, I don't, I mean, I, pro- I could, but I don't, that's not my thing anymore. I went, I went out actually a few months ago with a friend, and I was so uncomfortable, <laughs> not because I felt tempted, just because it was just the same thing that it always was before. Um, and it just wasn't fun for me. I'm, I've become more of a homebody, and I like that.
1: I also thought about you not long ago when Whitney Houston passed away. Someone with so much talent, such mm-hmm. raw talent, and who went through such a tough time and obviously the end came way too soon. When you heard the news of her death, did any of it register on a personal level with you?
2: I don't not not really. I've I don't I wouldn't like to I don't want to go there. That's that's kind of a scary morbid thing to discuss. But I mean maybe to some extent when I was really when I was in, you know, when I went to jail and being in that place that was really terrifying for me
1: but abuse also I mean you know in terms of substance abuse it can rob talent
2: yeah no I, I completely agree yeah and you can just kind of completely fall into that world and that's a really scary thing and I've I've experienced it things like that and I have friends that have experienced things like that and I it's a really sad factor that can come into play in people's lives sometimes if you don't recognize it a lot of people don't like to, and I think I did that for a long time. I think I was scared and didn't want to, you know, admit it to myself, let alone anyone else.
0: You can see her get visibly uncomfortable when Matt Lauer compares her to Whitney Houston and asked if Whitney's death resonated with her in a more personal way than maybe it would just your average person. And I do think it was kind of inappropriate for him to say that, especially because Whitney had just passed away. But... I can see where he's coming from, and I do think Lindsay admitting that at one point she was really scared that her life was going in that direction was, like, that made me emotional. Like, I was like, oh my god, you know, as much as we know about what Lindsay has gone through, what do we not know? What has gone on behind the scenes? And when he compared her to Whitney, I was like, oh, well, Lindsay was never that in it, You know Lindsay was never doing crack or heroin or things like that but we really don't know right like I think maybe what we know is just the tip of the iceberg but I don't blame Lindsay at all for not wanting to go there and I also am really proud of her for not feeling the pressure to state the exact amount of time that she has been sober it's. No one's business really and even though yes she's going on an appearance on television she knows she's going to be asked about this stuff. I do think that there should be a line and I don't think that she should have to state oh I've been sober for 30 days or 3 months or 5 months or whatever it is. I don't think that people need to know every single detail about her. Especially because now we know that once she did take a step back and her life wasn't followed 24-7 that is when she really got clean and started healing. So I'm glad to see her putting up some boundaries in this interview already. So the week that she hosted SNL, she appeared on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, and she told him that she had actually been begging Lauren Michaels for quite a while to let her come back on the show. She had hosted in 2004, 2005, 2006, and then her legal troubles just got to the point where No one was going to ask her to come back on that show, right? But she really wanted another chance. And she said that she wasn't going to give up. And she ran into him in LA. And on the spot, he was just like, all right, all right. (laughs) How about March 3rd? And (laughs) Lindsay was like, yes, I will do it. So she appeared on SNL. And it was a very mixed reviews type of episode. Now, the ratings soared because she was on. So it was successful, but a lot of people critiqued her performance and said it was the worst appearance that she's ever made on the show and that she was looking offset at the cue cards too much and she was missing lines and she was like sputtering a little bit. And there is one sketch in particular where she's so obviously like her, her eyes are fixed on that cue card. Like she has absolutely no idea <laughs> what the lines are and didn't memorize them at all. However, I think that there's some really high points of the episode. For instance, I think the monologue is really great. I think they address her personal issues in a very funny way. You know, this studio feels like a home to me.
2: <laughs> Wait, so the alarm goes off if I leave the stage? I thought it was only if I left the studio. And I thought you guys trusted me. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Keenan. Hey. So good to see you again. You know, I forgot how beautiful your eyes are. Thanks, Keenan. Can I see them? Uh, okay.
1: Yeah, can I see your eyes, please? Uh. You know... She's good.
2: Keenan, I should be checking your eyes.
0: Oh, I'll save you the trouble. I've been stoned since Good Burger.
2: Lindsay, you're doing a great job of hosting. Thank you, you know, I do get the feeling that everybody thinks I'm gonna screw something up. No, no, hey, look at me. Everybody here believes in you, everyone. We wouldn't have you back otherwise. Thanks, Kristen. (laughs) Kristen, are you searching me? No. No. No, I'm,
0: I'm a lesbian now. Been there, done that. And then also she's in this iconic sketch called The Real Housewives of Disney where Lindsay plays Rapunzel, Kristen Wiig plays Cinderella, Nassim Pedrad plays Jasmine. I mean, it's such a funny sketch that uses the Disney princesses and their stories and parodies Real Housewives at the same time. Like what would it be like if all the Disney princesses were on the Housewives, right? And there was all that drama and fighting and crying and all that kind of stuff. And I genuinely think it is such an iconic, funny sketch. To me, those are really the two standouts of this episode. And the rest of it is like, eh, whatever. And I do feel the need to defend Lindsay when it comes to reading off the cue cards because most people who host SNL do that. I just think that maybe she was nervous or something. Like she knew all eyes were on her waiting to see is she still... A great actress is she still as funny does she still have the comedic timing and maybe she just like blanked on her lines and i feel like a lot of the time when people do snl they know the lines a little but they do look over at the cue cards and you're encouraged to look at the cue cards it's not like looking at the cue cards is like failing or something because snl is produced within a week like they literally start on monday morning with a clean slate and have to come up with a new episode and fully produce it and get it out by Saturday night, you're not really expected to remember every single line off the top of your head, especially because they are often changing lines, adding jokes, adding entirely new scenes and things like that at the last minute. So they might have even had a totally other sketch that Lindsay would have nailed and then they changed it and switched it out for the one that they actually ended up doing. So, I think that she did a good job on the show, all things considered. And in that monologue, they had that joke where, you know, John Hamm is there standing by just in case Lindsay totally messes up and they need another host. And John Hamm was actually on Ellen a couple days after that. And he clarified, like, that it was a total joke because some people had been rude enough to say, like, oh, well, yeah, it was a joke. Like, for sure, it was a joke. But also, you know, he was standing by there. So how quickly could a joke have turned into an actual fact, right? And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, it was a joke. I, you know, Lindsay did a great job. Nobody actually thought that she wasn't going to be able to do it. And he said that he has a great relationship with all the people at SNL and he happened to be in New York. So they just came up with this and asked if he would do it. And he says any chance he gets to go to SNL He goes there. A bunch of other celebrities defended Lindsay and basically said the same thing that I just said about the cue cards. This includes Alec Baldwin, Zoe Deschanel, Jimmy Fallon, Jay Leno, Paul Rudd, and Rita Wilson, who all were coming out and giving quotes defending her. Zoe said, "Hosting SNL is so hard, and can I say something? I thought she did a really good job." There were some people saying she read off the cue cards. Listen, everyone, the cast members, the host, everyone reads off cue cards. That's how it's done because they changed the script right before, so you have to read off the cue cards. I love that. It's so important for women to support other women, especially when you're in the same field and somebody is just getting endlessly mocked for years and rooted against. Like, I love that Zoe came out and said that and so many other people did as well. And I consider this SNL appearance to overall be a success because – It had the one iconic sketch, like I said, it had a ratings boost for the show, and like I said, considering everything, it really wasn't that bad. It could have been a lot worse. Unfortunately, things really uh, went downhill after this SNL gig. So Lindsay was accused of two pretty serious crimes. Both are really confusing because... Lindsay, of course, claims that she wasn't involved with either of them whatsoever. She wasn't even there. However, there are witnesses that claim both things did happen. There are witnesses that claim that they didn't. There's staff members of the places that these things happen that say that Lindsay was there. There are staff members that say that she was not there. Of course, Michael Lohan gets in the mix to confuse everybody. And this was really bad because Lindsay was now on informal probation, which means that she had completed her community service. She was basically free and clear. She didn't have to report to a probation officer anymore, but she was on informal probation for the next two and a half years, meaning if she breaks any law whatsoever, not only will she be back on regular probation, but she would almost definitely go to jail. So the first instance was Lindsay apparently hitting somebody with her car outside of a nightclub in Hollywood, even though, you know, she said that she was done with nightclubs and stuff, but we all change our minds sometimes. Allegedly, she just brushed this person. She was going really slow coming out of a parking lot. So he was fine. And I think maybe that's why nothing came of this, which Lindsay is extremely lucky. She calls the whole thing total lies. She said she was just trying to celebrate a friend's birthday at the club and nothing happened. The next incident is a woman named Marissa accusing Lindsay of shoving her at the standard hotel. Lindsay completely denies this. She says she was home in bed. So I'm going to leave it to you guys if you want to try to parse those out and read all of the different (laughs) elements and claims and denials and this and that. I'm not going to do that here because both of them did not result in any prosecution for Lindsay, thank God, because she had already been through it. Although, you know, if she's going around shoving people and hitting people with her car, then yeah, she would probably deserve more prosecution. But I think there was no way that either of these could be proven Lucky for Lindsay, nothing ended up coming of either of them. In April, Lindsay was back in the news for more positive reasons. She began filming a guest spot on the show Glee. And she was also invited to the White House Correspondents Dinner. She did look gorgeous this evening. She was wearing a long satin black halter gown And she hung out with Kim Kardashian a lot on this night. And I have to tell you guys, little side note, I was absolutely struck by how gorgeous Kim looked. I have said this before, but I just cannot fathom looking like this woman looked 10 years ago and getting all of the subsequent plastic surgery procedures on her body and face that she has gotten. I mean, she's still gorgeous now, but now she looks gorgeous in this, like, Hollywood plastic filtered way. And back then, she looked gorgeous, but she still looked like a regular person who was just a gorgeous person. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I think that was better not to critique, you know, but I just feel like Hollywood is so damaging. Like, I bring this up just to state how damaging fame is because it really has to do with Lindsay as well, right? I mean, at this point, Lindsay has been so damaged almost irreparably damaged by fame and it's just crazy to look at Kim how perfect she was but in her mind she needed to go through however many extremely tough on her body surgeries that she's gone through I mean it's just it's wild and I am happy that this era is more celebratory of different body types and looks but It's still bad I mean it's still a very touchy subject that I don't want to get into here but I do love the friendship between Kim and Lindsay I wonder if they're still friends because I know Kim was always defending Lindsay in the press and saying positive things about her and that could have just been you know to get her own name in the press I don't know if it was a genuine friendship but they seem to spend time together over the years. Lindsay had one hell of a summer, just like every other summer of her life. (laughs) I feel like every single episode I do, I'm like, well, this is a crazy one, guys. So... She appeared in a short film called First Point, which stars herself and Sasha Gray. This short is on YouTube, and it says this film is a creation of artist Richard Phillips. It features the work of surf filmmaker Taylor Steele and surfer Cassia Medor as Lohan's stunt double. The music is by Thomas Bangalter, a.k.a. Daft Punk. First point is at once a surf film and a film noir, an exploration of the California dream and the Hollywood nightmare, worlds that Lohan doesn't have to pretend to straddle on screen. You can go watch this. It's on YouTube. It's only like four minutes long. It has nice visuals, but I didn't get much out of it. To me, I don't think it's really an exploration of the California dream and the Hollywood nightmare. It doesn't delve that deeply, but it's just, it's one of those like avant-garde art films. So maybe you will get more out of it than I did but I love that Lindsay chose to do a small art film like this I mean not that studios were calling and banging down the door to hire her right but still she was a huge celebrity and I love seeing her take part in something a little smaller I'm sure a lot more people saw this film than would have otherwise so it's always nice when something like that happens and in July she started filming her last big movie until this year The Canyons This was written by Brett Easton Ellis and directed by Paul Schrader. I'm a fan of both of them. It was a pretty big deal for Lindsay to be in a Paul Schrader movie. Like, even though, and we'll talk about The Canyons a little later in this episode, even though it was kind of a trashy movie, she was working with people that are big names in Hollywood. Paul Schrader is... Known for being the writer of one of Martin Scorsese's best films, Taxi Driver. I love that movie. He also directed a movie recently called First Reformed, which I think is one of the best movies of the past ten years. It stars Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried. So I think Lindsay was probably really excited about this project because she was working with people that were really respected in Hollywood, even if it isn't the best script in the world. It's pedigree, right? It's working with people that have real clout in the business. Paul Schrader often would speak out during the filming. He's known for being very opinionated. If you guys follow him on Facebook, you know that. It's it's a thrill to follow his Facebook. Like, he's just one of those guys that's been around forever, doesn't give a shit. Like, he's older now. He just, like, posts whatever he wants. Some of his opinions aren't the most palatable, but that's what makes it so great. (laughs) He wanted people to... Know some positive things about Lindsay. So he posted during the filmmaking that Lindsay was a philanthropist. And he said Lindsay regularly volunteers for the Dream Center, an organization which aids underprivileged kids in the LA area. Last night, she invited a number of Dream Center workers to the set. Their mission is to help the most vulnerable. To learn more about the Dream Center, go to dreamcenter.org. They need your help. Lindsay also spent a night hanging out with Lady Gaga and Lana Del Rey. Apparently, they had a sleepover, and there are a few photos from this evening. How iconic. Would you not kill to have been a fly on the wall? Like, I want to know if there were drugs and alcohol consumed on this evening I would like to think Lindsay was sober but at the same time I just feel like Gaga, Lana, and Lindsay having a slumber party you know it it wouldn't be a stretch to say that the alcohol was flowing let's say and I'm a fan of all three I'm not dissing any of these women Lady Gaga later commented I actually don't have that many celebrity friends but I really like Lindsay she's a sweetheart and I love her fire crotch I mean how could you not So call this speculation, but was there some hooking up that possibly went on at this slumber party? I'm just going to go with yes. I feel like that's very likely. At least there were no photos that came out with knives. It wasn't a Vanessa Manillo type of sleepover. This was much more distinguished. Lindsay was involved with two car crashes during the summer. One of them was just a fender bender. She hit a silver Mustang that was not moving at the time. They were sitting at a light and... She hit them. I assume this was settled without the police getting involved, so that's nice for once. However, earlier that summer in June, Lindsay was involved in a much more serious car accident that would end up having very serious consequences for her. And I'm going to get into the details of that a little bit later because she ends up being prosecuted for it in 2013. Lindsay did a few photo shoots over the summer too that were not well-received whatsoever. It was, again, a lot of emulating Marilyn, which we had already seen her do multiple times. It was fingers in the mouth again. You guys know how that drives me insane. You know, a lot of lingerie and hanging over the bed and bending over and just... There's nothing wrong with a woman expressing her sexuality on film, but it just didn't feel right. There was something about it that was off. She was also working with Terry Richardson. If you're not familiar with him, please Google it. But she did one photo shoot in particular where she has a gun and she holds the gun to her head. She has the gun in her mouth. And it just, considering everything that she had been through it was extremely unsettling because people with substance abuse issues who are in and out of trouble and jail and probation, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, there is a high suicide rate for people like that. So for her to pose with a gun to her head, it just didn't really work. It just didn't seem like what she needed to be expressing at the time. But it seems like when she was using, the darker side of herself would come out and she would want to express the darker side through images like this. So at least she was doing it in a creative way and not actually doing it for real, I guess, is the bright side of that whole situation. There was actually so much backlash from the Terry Richardson photos that he removed them from his website, which was huge because he was known for being Edgy and pushing the envelope so normally he isn't the type to remove photos after criticism but it was so bad just considering what Lindsay had been through and distasteful that he did end up removing them. Probably the biggest positive of this summer is that she not only filmed the canyons but she filmed her starring role in the Lifetime biopic Liz and Dick about the tumultuous relationship between Hollywood icon Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Lindsay stated multiple times how excited she was to be involved with the project, how special it was to her to get to play one of her personal idols, Elizabeth Taylor, how a lot of things in her life mirrored what happened in Elizabeth's life. She said that she was eating, sleeping, living, and breathing Elizabeth Taylor in order to prepare for the role. However, Unfortunately, she was kicked out of the Chateau Marmont where she had been staying during the making of both Liz and Dick and the Canyons because she had an outstanding bill of forty six thousand dollars. Now, the manager of the hotel claimed that he had tried to get her to pay this and resolve this entire situation privately many, many times. And he received no response and no payment from Lindsay. So he had to go public with it. He wrote a public letter. And he also included all of her room charges. (laughs) So, you know, it's not just that she's staying there. It's the room service meal. She had cigarettes delivered. She regularly used the very overpriced mini bar. And so that's how $46,000 was spent during this summer. And of course, once TMZ broke the story, Lindsay did respond. And she said, of course, that it wasn't her fault. (laughs) None of this is ever her fault, you guys. Isn't that amazing? how it's never her fault. Everything just happens to her. It's amazing. So (laughs) she claimed that the producers of Liz and Dick promised to pay the enormous Chateau Marmont bill, but the producers were like, we never said that we would do that. (laughs) They claimed that they gave her a $5,000 advance on her pay so that she could move into the Chateau, but they never even implied that they would pay the entire bill so she called the Chateau and said I'm so sorry I thought the producers were going to pay this bill I'm pretty sure they still are going to pay it but if they don't I will be paying it in full ultimately Lindsay did pay it and then she was off to Atlanta to film a small part in Scary Movie 5 alongside Charlie Sheen so things are still going well for Lindsay, right? Like, even though she's in Scary Movie 5, which is like a very my How the Mighty Have Fallen moment, she still filmed three movies this year and an appearance on Glee, right? So it's like, even though at this time she's not entirely sober, she is out of trouble for the meantime like even though she keeps getting in car accidents and having all of these issues she's a working actress again she is managing to continue to build up her resume despite all of the turmoil sadly it just proved to be too difficult for her to stay out of trouble and i say that with empathy addiction is a disease and on september 19th Lindsay was arrested and charged with leaving the scene of an accident Lindsay was driving into the parking lot of the Dream Hotel in New York when she allegedly hit an employee of the restaurant next door. Very strange because she was accused of almost the same thing in LA earlier in the year. Remember when I said that? So she clearly has issues paying attention when she is driving. I mean, I cannot believe her license was never taken away like I mean it had to have been right sometime in like 2007-8 it had to have been but the New York Post reported that a spokesperson for the NYPD confirmed that the actress was charged with leaving the scene of an accident a possible misdemeanor at approximately 2 30 a.m. after a 34 year old Hispanic man claimed that Lohan's black Porsche Cayenne SUV struck him in his knee as she was driving down an alley near the Dream Hotel on West 16th Street. The man was taken to Bellevue Hospital. No alcohol or drugs were suspected to have played a role in the incident, and Lohan was released with a desk appearance ticket after being processed at the police station. No bail was required. The accident could impact her probation with or without a conviction. On September 24th, Lindsay was hospitalized after being rushed to the emergency room in New York City because she was suffering from a bad lung infection. She was taken to Mount Sinai where she received medication for the infection, including antibiotics, and was discharged shortly after. It's so sad how many health problems that she has. She had asthma as a child, and you just think, like, of course she has a lung infection because it's like, think about how much she smokes. Think about her voice. Like, did you hear the clip at the beginning when I was playing the Today Show? interview like her I mean the how how thick and affected her voice sounds from the the constant partying I mean that cannot be healthy for somebody with asthma and I hope that she's okay now her voice sounds so much better nowadays so it's amazing that you can kind of turn back the clock on things like that and I'm really hoping that she's healthy now In October, Lindsay began promoting Liz and Dick. She had this extremely deep color of red hair at the time, and it was just beautiful. She did a lot of the typical talk show appearances that we're used to seeing her on, like Jay Leno and Good Morning America. But she actually was scheduled to do a two-part interview with Barbara Walters. The first part was very short and just something that Barbara showed as a clip on the view. And the second part was supposed to be an hour-long special in-depth covering everything type of interview. And Lindsay actually canceled at the last minute, which left ABC and Barbara Walters not very happy with her. And yes, this was an unprofessional thing to do. And at the same time, I totally understand because when Lindsay was doing these interviews, people just could not get away from the turmoil in her life. Which also is understandable from their point because they're journalists and having Lindsay Lohan on and just talking about the weather would be egregious. Like It would just be like, oh, there's an elephant in the room, you know. But I just feel like people were taking it a little too far and Lindsay just kind of wanted to talk about how things were finally going well for her. It was hard though because like I said, this year was just back to back to back issues and problems and negative things Reported all the time in the press so people were just kind of wondering like where is Lindsay's head at you know also I think the fact that she was promoting a movie where she played Elizabeth Taylor somebody who also had a lot of turmoil in her life someone who had actually been to the same rehab clinic Betty Ford that Lindsay had been to multiple times. It also was relevant to the movie to bring up these issues, especially because Elizabeth Taylor was popular during kind of the dawn of the paparazzi stalking people. You know, I think back in the day of the very early Hollywood days, it was more respectful. You know, paparazzi wouldn't hide in the bushes in front of people's houses, but then in the 60s and 70s that's when it really started to ramp up and Elizabeth Taylor was basically the most famous movie star in the world and again it was similar to Lindsay and similar to other icons of the 2000s right where it's not just that she's famous for the talent and for the movies but she's also famous for the chaotic personal life. Elizabeth Taylor had eight marriages two to the same man and that's what this movie is about Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor so it was relevant to bring these things up but you could just see Lindsay getting a little uncomfortable and unhappy during these interviews so obviously she's not gonna go on Barbara Walters and just say no 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 to every question and not talk about everything right that's a terrible interview like that would be doing Barbara a disservice as well. She only could do the interview if she was going to really go there and talk about all these issues. And I think she just didn't want to. And you know what? She shouldn't have to. Celebrities shouldn't have to talk about their personal lives in order to promote a movie. But Lindsay's life was so obsessed over by the media that even when she wouldn't talk about it, they just would shove it in her face. And something heartbreaking happened during the Good Morning America interview where The woman interviewing Lindsay asks her about her tumultuous family and she mentions that news just broke that day that Michael Lohan might have had a secret love child and Lindsay says she actually didn't know about that. So she had to find out about this on Good Morning America live in front of the world and you can even hear Dina, I'm gonna play the clip, listen You can hear Dina in the back say no when Lindsay says that she doesn't want to talk about that. And I have no doubt that they just sprung that on her like that was not in the pre-interview because Dina seems mad. Lindsay seems uncomfortable. And the sad thing is this rumor was true. Lindsay had a half-sister that she didn't know about until... 2012. And Michael claimed that this woman had gotten pregnant when he was on a break from Dina, but I don't know. (laughs) If that's not true, it wouldn't shock me, you know what I mean? So it's this very personal family detail that Lindsay was not told privately that had to be revealed on television when she's trying to have this really big comeback playing a Hollywood icon that she looks up to.
1: Obviously, you've been going through some very difficult times. Elizabeth Taylor did too. Who did she rely on during those dark days and who is your rock? Who do you go to? How do you stay grounded? Um, Elizabeth Taylor
2: actually went to her mother a lot. She was really close to her mother Um, and I think you see we portray that pretty well in the movie Um, and I'm pretty much the same. Um, My mom, my siblings, my sister Allie, my brother Michael and Cody.
1: And yet your family troubles are constantly put out there for the public. I know just today there was news that you allegedly have a new half-sister. How do you handle your family being so... I not that, so thanks for news. <laughs> I, don't, I don't pay attention to any of it. I mean how does your family handle all of that scrutiny? <clears throat> there, the headlines splashed
2: daily. Um, you know, I, I can't, I don't really want to get into that because no. I want to stand the positive side of things and right. talk about...
1: No, and and you know what, this was interesting because you've said that acting is your passion and that being on set is where you belong. You've had to take a step back from that, from Mm -hmm. from moments, and and you you and Elizabeth actually were at the same rehab clinic, at the Betty Ford Clinic. Mm -hmm. But is this for you, seeing yourself play this role, is this a bit of professional redemption?
2: Yeah, I think that, and just as Elizabeth Taylor did, there was a time, you know, when I was just doing so much work um, constantly and I, I kind of had that moment where it was i didn't i was like do i really love doing this for me and and stepping back and seeing other people do other movies and then kind of noticing i was like wait that's what i love to do why i need to get in the right headspace and just focus on being you know on set and that's what makes me happiest
0: all i could find of the initial barbara walters interview was a 30 second clip so i'm going to include that here for you guys i had a few problems while this was being
2: Yes, it was, a, it was a lot of hours, but it's also my first time back, and I wanted, I don't want to have any reason. I want to keep working, and if I'm on set and I'm here, I want to keep going, and I like that. I'm a, I'm a survivor, so.
1: But one, one night you had a little trouble getting up, and they called the paramedics.
2: Was that just exhaustion? I think I was just honestly tired. Yeah. I needed a nap for 15 minutes, and then there were seven paramedics in a room. So Did imagine you? how I felt. But you're okay. Yeah, I'm fine
0: that incident that Barbara was talking about occurred in June when Lindsay was unresponsive in a hotel room at the Ritz-Carlton in Marina del Rey. And first of all, I just think it's insane that she had the extremely expensive Chateau Marmont booked all summer, and yet she was sleeping at the Ritz-Carlton. I mean, look, I know she's still a super famous actress and everything, but she was having money problems. If I was having money issues and I booked to the Chateau, I would stay at the Chateau. But, you know, again, we change our minds in life sometimes. And basically what happened is Lindsay had had a 13-hour workday on the set of Liz and Dick, which does sound like a lot. But in Hollywood, it honestly isn't. When I was working as an extra, I actually did a 24-hour workday one time on Martin Scorsese's set because he doesn't like to have watches or phones or anything because he feels you know you're making art and however long it takes is however long it takes and everyone's so happy to be there because he's so talented and iconic that everyone's just like all right cool like (laughs) I'll stay here for three days I don't care and that is how we all felt even as extras but 13 hours I mean that's that's kind of a short day on a movie set to be honest like yeah, 24 was our longest day on that shoot, but we very frequently had 18, 19, 20 hour days. I mean, it, that was just normal. And I know that Katherine Heigl once complained that they had 16 hour days on Grey's Anatomy and it shouldn't be that long and all that kind of stuff. So by the way, no shade to Catherine Heigl. I mean, I wouldn't complain about that time if I was on Grey's Anatomy, but I actually kind of like her. And I think the way that she's been trashed in Hollywood is not really fair. But I digress. <laughs> Guys, welcome to the Katherine Heigl cast. So she had had a 13-hour workday. And she wasn't feeling very well. And I guess she called the Liz and Dick production team and was like, Hey, I feel really sick. I need a few more hours of sleep. And you really can't do that when you're the lead role in a movie. You can't just call and be like, Hey, I'll be there in a few hours. <laughs> I mean, people do it. But I think because of Lindsay's history, they freaked out and got really nervous. So they sent paramedics there and the paramedics got to the scene and they said you know she was fine she was just tired which is exactly what she told Barbara Walters but how embarrassing for Lindsay that you know she's just tired and she wants to get a couple more hours of shut eye and people are like send the paramedics because what if she's ODing and dying right now and like I'm glad that the Liz and Dick team had her back that way because what if she was having an overdose or what if she was on a drug binge or something we don't know what she was doing during the making of this movie like she says she was just trying to get some shut-eye but you know maybe she was hungover maybe she was on drugs we don't know the situation so I'm actually glad that they took an abundance of caution and sent the paramedics to her even though she didn't need to be treated for anything on that particular day But like I said, this just contributed to the endless sea of negative reports that were coming out about Lindsay this year. If it wasn't partying or hitting somebody with her car or crashing her car into something else or hitting somebody or shoving somebody or ending up in the hospital because she has lung issues and chest issues. I mean, there was just always something negative coming out about her. And it seemed like no matter how hard she worked, she just couldn't escape the persona, which actually did make her kind of perfect to play Elizabeth Taylor because she was in the same type of scenario in life. Now, let's do it. We have to talk about Liz and Dick. So I recently watched this movie and I had only seen it once the night it aired back in 2012 because, you know, had to support my girl, even though I was a little stressed about all the news coming out of her, had to support, you know... And I remember watching it at the time and thinking it was really a terrible movie and just kind of being disappointed. But this time around, with all the context of doing this in-depth series, I was really happy for Lindsay. Like, I think she did an actual decent job in this movie. And when I posted that on my Instagram story, a lot of you guys replied to me and said, I totally agree. Lindsay is really good in the movie. It's just a terrible script. And it is a pretty bad script. It's it's goofy and cartoonish. But every once in a while there's like a good moment or a good line or a good scene that pulls you back into the story, you know what I mean? But one thing I hate about this movie is that they go through so much of the relationship between Liz Taylor and Richard Burton beat by beat. But then when they get remarried, which I think is fascinating, by the way, anytime there is a couple that marries each other twice, I find that fascinating. Like, to go through a whole marriage and divorce and then to do it all over again, like to believe in love and believe in each other that much, that you're willing to take that risk again, I think is just so romantic and fascinating. And, you know, they're not the only celebrity couple to do it. Of course, we know RJ and Natalie Wood were uh, married and divorced twice which I think is so fascinating especially because their story is even more complicated than that of Liz and Dick so you know if you don't know what I'm talking about google that one because oh boy but a more modern celebrity couple that have done this are Ethan Embry and his wife Sunny Mabry who is an actress and comedian and who, who is Gorgeous, by the way. I'd marry her five times, okay? (laughs) Never mind two. But I just, I wish they would do like an in-depth interview on a podcast or something. You know, one of those like hour-long deep dives on someone's life, like on Armchair Expert or something like that. Because I just find it to be the most fascinating thing when people take that leap twice. And so what I'm getting at is in the film, I was disappointed that when they get remarried, the movie basically like, just jumps to his death and I'm like well I want to hear the rest of the story like what happened during the second marriage and why did they divorce the second time and like what happened after that because they show Elizabeth being absolutely devastated when he dies which like I would assume that anyone that you marry you would be very sad when they die even if it ends horribly but like they show her being you know just absolutely crushed and I'm just curious like what happened during that time not that the rest of the movie is like so historically accurate that I learned you know (laughs) so much or anything like that this movie is kind of like just a frills type of movie but at the same time I just would have liked the rest of that covered like they just rushed through the end. But despite its issues, I do think that this movie was ultimately a success for Lindsay. Like, I don't think it's a good movie. I don't think it's something that you need to, like, go rush (laughs) and watch. Unless you really love Lindsay, like myself, then you'll definitely get a lot out of it. But, you know, despite a few moments where her dialogue is just so bad that, you know, she had no choice but to deliver it in a way that... was not going to work. There's moments, you know, there's there's really great moments of her acting and I'm so happy that she got such a big role at this point in her career. Like, I find the subject matter of the Canyons to be very, like, I can easily dismiss the subject matter of that movie, but I think the things that Lindsay got to play in Liz and Dick were probably really therapeutic for her and she had a lot of great things to say about the process of making the movie even if it was a little anxiety inducing and difficult for her to once again carry a movie on her shoulders i especially like the scene where elizabeth taylor's current husband eddie fisher shows up and you know she's been cheating on him with richard burton And Eddie, up till this point, has just thought, oh, they're all rumors and it's all just promotion for the movie they're doing together. But then in front of a crowded room of people, Richard confronts Elizabeth and says, who do you love, me or him? And I don't know if that actually happened in real life, but I don't care because I love Lindsay's performance in that scene and I'm not gonna include the clip because you really have to just watch it and see her face. I just think she does a good job with, like, such a silly over-the-top scene. She really grounds it. And there are many moments like that in the film. The other reason to watch this, my dears, is the fashion. Oh my goodness. Lindsay wore 66 different looks in 80 minutes. (laughs) So if you're keeping track, that's almost one new one every single minute. Um it starts in 1961 and goes up until 1984. So that's lots of different trends going in and out and it's just a treat to see, you know, Lindsay, this gorgeous woman in all of these fabulous looks. Some of them you'll remember from Elizabeth Taylor's life and some of them you may not, but it was just beautiful. Like, I love the costumes. If there's anything that this movie does really well, I think it's the costumes. Their budget for that must have been huge. Once again, every single person who worked With Lindsay in this movie had absolutely glowing things to say about her which is always reassuring because every time I do these episodes and I just read about all of the terrible things that Lindsay was going through it's just really nice that all the actors that she worked with just don't seem to be affected by all of that even when they are affected by it because she's running late or whatever there's actually a whole video on YouTube you can go watch with all of Lindsay's co-stars saying lovely things about her. But I just want to read this quote from Grant Bowler because she acted alongside him more than anyone. Of course, he played Richard in the movie. And he said, She's a very bright lady. She's a very intelligent woman. She's been in the business since she was a kid. She's carrying a lot of baggage for somebody that young and she's trying to fight her way back. She's got great instincts. When she's on point and she's with you there in a scene, she's just fantastic. I love that he said that she's smart right off the bat like two different ways you know he says she's bright and intelligent instead of saying oh she's gorgeous and she's such a star you know like his character might say sorry i'm in love with like the -the over-the-top hollywood nature of this movie darling it's just fabulous When I hear him speak in my mind, that's what I hear. But he continued, There wasn't a scene between Lindsay and I that was casual, that was honey past the salt. Everything was enormous. Everything was key. These were the great moments into great people's lives. You're living a kind of electric reality, if you like. There's tension in the wire all the time, and I think that really fed into the chemistry between us. So... (laughs) They don't have chemistry, in my opinion. That's one of the biggest problems with the movie. Like, you just don't... Like, I'm not sold that these two people are in love. And if this wasn't a true story and I didn't know that... In real life, these people were very much in love. I just wouldn't believe it at all, unfortunately. And he's right. Everything is enormous. Like, there's no subtle scenes. There's no subtext. It's all just like, darling, get me another diamond. Okay, dear, but I just got you one last month. I don't care. I need another. Like, it's that type of stuff. Like, it's, it's just, it's every, like, honestly, it's a great movie. You need to watch it immediately. I take back everything I said. He also shared some insight on why Lindsay was cast. And he said, I think it was a very smart decision on a lot of levels. And it has been interesting because reading the press before we started, there were a lot of questions like, why cast Lindsay as Elizabeth Taylor? And then right from the start, by the very fact that the tabloids were running around after it, you had your answer. He's absolutely right. Like, she's the perfect person to play Liz. I, I Like, I really do believe that. I just think that the movie was you know, a Lifetime movie. So it was never going to be like this critically acclaimed masterpiece. So let's get into some of the reviews, which were extraordinarily mixed. <laughs> Variety said, Given the off-the-charts camp factor in the tantalizing prospect of Lindsay Lohan playing Elizabeth Taylor, Lifetime might prize descriptions of Liz and Dick as trashy or awful. So the network might harbor mixed emotions in reading that the movie about Taylor and her tumultuous romance with Richard Burton is actually pretty good, all things considered, despite an inevitably episodic nature and one glaringly unnecessary device. Such fact-based TV movies are rare these days, but this post-Thanksgiving telecast is just hammy enough to generate numbers rivaling the hordes of paparazzi that dogged the not-always-happy couple. There's plenty of fun to be manufactured watching the movie and even drinking games like take a swig every time a doctor or associate (laughs) every time a doctor or associate delivers bad news (laughs) that's so funny I love this movie like I don't honestly I take back all my complaints like it's just it's so funny there is something strangely fascinating about a couple so madly hot for each other as to be unable to find equilibrium or peace as well as how the Taylor Burton pairing helped pave the way for a more aggressive and intrusive breed of celebrity journalism this movie also benefits from the revelation about Taylor saving Burton's love letters long after his death which came more than a quarter century before hers In a sense, the producers shrewdly used Lohan, no stranger to the tabloids herself, as a publicity multiplier, but they needn't have worried. Because while Liz and Dick is wobbly at times, the movie ultimately stands on its own. I was surprised that variety went that positive. Like, I would think they would be more hoity-toity and like, this is just a trash movie. But like I said, it's not as bad as you would think. Actually, parts of the movie are really good parts of the movie are bad but not as bad as you would think and then other parts of the movie are just like so absurdly bad that they're good you know what I mean like the I'm so bored scene or the one where she just faints (laughs) like it shouldn't be funny because she faints at the news that Richard has died but like it is it's very funny it just, just the way they frame it or something or maybe it's just like the shock of seeing Lindsay in like the old age makeup and stuff you're just like Whoa. The Denver Post said, No matter what you think of the script, which is a medium grade made for TV movie, the look of the piece carries it. No matter what you think of the actors, the great period stylings, not to mention Cleopatra period costumes, make this jewel encrusted, cocktail soaked, often tragic saga a rip roaring good time. A rip roaring good time is actually how I would describe it. Like, that's perfect. It's like the big Thunder Mountain Railroad at Disney World. Exquisite black-and-white photos recreating the famously passionate chemistry of Taylor and Burton launch the story. Long before TMZ, popping flashbulbs accompanied their every move. The film opens in flashback with voiceover commentary by Burton reading a letter to the woman he loved across a lifetime. I fell for you the moment I saw you all those years ago at a party in Hollywood. You were everything I ever wanted, even when you looked at me with utter disdain. I thought you were just luscious. Luscious. So I actually love the device that they used which I think is the one that Variety was talking about negatively but they have Liz and Dick both kind of narrating the movie from the beyond. The two of them are both young again like the age that they were when they met and they're sitting just in front of a black background and they're just like Talking to each other about each other and about their relationship as if they're existing in this other realm, what, like presenting the movie to us. It sounds bad the way I'm explaining it, but I actually really like that. Like, I like the idea that the two of them are somewhere in the cosmos together, just presenting this over dramatic mess of a movie to us. It works for me. Many of the rest of the reviews are more of the same and All in all, I think this was a high of Lindsay's career at this time, like you would never consider it an overall high because you have things in her past like Mean Girls, but of this time, this was definitely a major positive and it was much better reviewed and received than you would think it would be. Once again, I have to use the word unfortunately, because Lindsay was arrested on November 29th, just a couple days after this movie came out. She was charged with third degree assault after having an alleged altercation in a club. I know that's shocking that Lindsay was in a club, but she did like to hang out in them from time to time. And the arrest happened at 4 a.m. Thursday morning. If you're, I I just wanna say, if you're out of your house at 4 a.m. for any reason, it's not good. Like, I just, you could even be out at 2 a.m., but that's the limit. Like, if you're out past 2 a.m., just, you need to go home. Like, nothing good happens out of your personal home or, like, your best friend's home at 4 a.m. You know what I mean? Like, it's not good. So prosecutors had not pursued any charges the last time she was in trouble in New York, but then an incident I didn't even mention because, you guys, there's way too much for me to even get into. The police were called to Lindsay's childhood home because there was a report that she and her mother were having a really bad fight. And after an investigation, the authorities said that there was no criminality involved. So I guess it was just, like, a really bad screaming fight, which, like, girl, we've all had those. But again, when you have Lindsay's history, like, it makes sense that the police would be called. So... This was basically her third time getting in trouble in New York within just like a couple months. So police said that Lindsay struck a woman in the face with her hand, but the victim did not require medical attention. And apparently this fight was over one of the members of the band The Wanted, namely max from the wanted so Lindsay allegedly had a huge crush on him and was interested in him or dating him at the time it's not really clear exactly when they dated but Lindsay did spend some time with him on tour other members of the wanted commented on this and said oh we love Lindsay. she's so great we love having her around like it's no problem to have her around because of course the media was portraying this like she was some hanger-on groupie that they didn't actually want around but i think she was just dating this guy so naturally like she was on tour with him for a little while and it really wasn't that big of a deal except for the fact that she allegedly got into a fight with another woman over him and ladies all I have to say is if you have to fight another woman for your man he's not your man okay go home like I said again 4 a.m go home always go home before 4 a.m all of these terrible reports about Lindsay started coming out TMZ said that she had relapsed and was drinking over a liter of vodka per day do I believe that? I have absolutely no idea. I think it's very likely. I think it also maybe could have been a million other things. There were a lot of people in Hollywood that felt the need to weigh in and say she's never going to work again. This Liz and Dick thing was like her last chance. It was a Lifetime movie. You know, she's doing a cameo in Scary Movie 5. Like, she's on her last legs and she had to be on her best behavior and she's not. So, like, we're done with her. Apparently, these were... Hollywood executives and stuff that just weren't giving their name, but they were powerful players in the business. So it just looked so horrible for Lindsay. And her lawyer came out and said that she was not intoxicated at the club, that she was not under the influence of any drugs. That he had seen her early that morning and she was completely fine. He said she was perfectly appropriate with the police and they made note of that. She was set to face formal charges at a January 7th arraignment, but her lawyer said that he was going to prove her innocence before then. He said, quote, We are going to be working very earnestly to establish that no charges should even be lodged. The police have already made arrangements to get the video from the club, which will hopefully reveal some exonerating information. After that, they could just walk away from the case and decline to even prosecute. So, Lindsay's alleged boyfriend, Max George of The Wanted, came out and said that he does not think that the fight was over him, and he said, "'We were actually hanging out. Lindsay seemed really lovely, and suddenly everyone goes wild. I don't know if there were fists, but there were pot-stirring females for sure. I think she's a sweetheart.'" I don't really like pot-stirring females, like that sounds kind of misogynist to me, but look, it's Lindsay, so this could be a lot worse. He was also taking a flight to LAX, and of course the paparazzi were waiting for him to ask him about Lindsay, and they said, how's Lindsay doing? What happened? And Max replied, she's fine. She's out of trouble. Lindsay's a good girl. Another band member from The Wanted, Jay McGinnis, told MTV News, the whole incident is a bit of a blur, actually. We carried on partying after that. It was reported that the fight was about Max George, but I don't think it actually was. A couple days later, The Wanted had a concert and Jay wore a shirt that said Free Lindsay. He said, after a small scuffle that went down, I felt very sorry for her. I wanted to cheer her up and I think she said she liked it. So as if things weren't bad enough, on December 3rd, the IRS seized Lindsay's account because her tax problems were so extreme that they had to do so in order to repay her massive outstanding debt. They claimed that for the years 2009 and 2010, Lindsay owed $233,904 in unpaid federal taxes. It was also revealed that of all people, Charlie Sheen, gave Lindsay a hundred thousand dollars to help alleviate her debt, so that means that her debt was actually three hundred and thirty three thousand and he was like uh eh, will give you I'll give you a you know cool hundred thousand dollars and you know it didn't solve the problem it helped, but it didn't solve the problem. Lindsay was apparently working hard trying to make the money to pay the IRS she was of course very disappointed that this information was Revealed to the public and it was reported that she was selling her collection of designer clothing and handbags to help pay for it which like Lindsay's closet that was probably worth like over a million dollars honestly so I wouldn't be surprised if that's how she settled this whole thing just by like selling her Birkins. So apparently Lindsay and Charlie had become friends on the set of Scary Movie 5. Of course, there were rumors that they were dating and sleeping together and that's why he gave her the money, etc, etc. But he actually came out and said, absolutely not. He's like, I've never touched her. But he did say, I'm still waiting for a text to say thank you. Anything, you know? She's a good and decent young lady that is just going through a lot. She just needs a little bit of time. People need to give her time to get her shit together. I have a kinship with somebody who clearly needs a mentor, whether she wants one or not. She can continue to hang out with her dress-shredding club buddies or turn to me for some advice from a guy who's been down the road as well as every other side trail on the journey. If she listens, she'll win. If she doesn't, that's on her. Now, normally I wouldn't read advice from Charlie Sheen to anyone. But (laughs) I do think it's interesting that they had a friendship, right? And the fact that he, like, so vehemently denied that they had any type of sexual relationship, I think was actually kind of nice for Charlie Sheen like I would think he would be like oh yeah Lindsay you know like (laughs) she can party but he I think he was trying to have a squeaky clean image and you know him giving her money and trying to help her out and be a mentor to her like he was trying to claim that he was sober so he wanted to make himself look like he was this like sober coach for Lindsay or something like that and honestly it was nice for him to give her some money and and help her out with the whole thing and and try to provide some guidance because like look If Charlie Sheen says you need to get your shit together, I can't. Like, let's just all pray for Lindsay. I know that she's fine now, or so it seems, but these issues don't just go away overnight. So, like, I'm going to pray for her before I go to bed tonight. And I don't really do that, but I'm going to do it tonight. Okay, so now it's time to talk about this car crash that Lindsay got into in June of 2012 that led to great consequences in 2013 now remember I know I've said it before but 2012 and 2013 were just an endless hurricane of incidents for Lindsay some of which I am mentioning in this episode but many of which I didn't even touch on because this series would be 50 episodes never mind how many it already is The fact that this is the only incident from around this time that Lindsay ended up being prosecuted for is extremely lucky. For as much as she has gone through in her life, she's also been outrageously fortunate. And this case is an example of that because her Porsche hit an 18-wheeler on the Pacific Coast Highway. And she did go to the emergency room, though she wasn't rushed in the ambulance because she was actually fine. She just went to the hospital to get checked out. And she was released the same day and actually went right back to work. So fortunate. I mean, one of the luckiest people in the world, right? That she got into this many crashes, drove drunk or high this many times, and and has two arms, two legs, two eyes, a nose. (laughs) You know what I mean? Very fortunate. Not everybody is that lucky. So basically, this crash raised all kinds of questions. The main being, was it Lindsay's fault? And also, if it was, was she under the influence of drugs or alcohol. So on December 12th, Lindsay's probation was revoked and she was facing the prospect of being sent back to jail in the light of new charges over a June traffic accident. Lohan, 26, who was not present at the hearing, is on probation for a 2011 jewelry theft. The Mean Girls actress has been in and out of rehab and jail since 2007 when she was arrested for drunk driving and cocaine possession. Lohan will be arraigned on January 15th on charges of reckless driving and lying to police when she claimed she was not behind the wheel of this car. So that's what she ended up getting nailed for, is lying to the police because she claimed she wasn't driving. Now, this whole thing is so involved and it's one of the reasons why this episode took so long because I was trying to understand all the details of what went on during this time and also trying to... Parse out all of the maddening, unhinged <laughs> things that happened as a result, which include Lindsay firing her attorney on the morning that her attorney had to go into court for Lindsay because Lindsay wasn't there. And another time that Lindsay said that she couldn't show up because she was sick. But then, of course, she was photographed having fun and seemingly not sick and then the judge was like hey girl you're going to jail unless you show up and lindsay was suddenly like i'm feeling better and of course there's just a litany (laughs) of things like that if you would like to go look it up yourself please do because it is entertaining but it is just too much guys for me to parse through all of it here for you so basically the result of this was on march 18th 2013 Lindsay accepted a plea deal and pled no contest to misdemeanor charges stemming from the car accident and was sentenced to 90 days in rehab, 30 days of community service, and 18 months of psychotherapy. The judge, which by the way was Superior Judge James Dabney because Sautner quit. Like, I mean, how many people have quit their job because of (laughs) Lindsay just wearing them down to nothing you know what I mean so this was a new judge and he actually gave her a little suggestion as she was leaving court and said hey just don't drive just don't drive it just seems like that's not a good thing for you so don't do it and guess what during the Oprah series which we will of course be getting into Lindsay has a driver right like she has a driver driving her around the whole time probably for the best this resulted in Lindsay's final mugshot Taken on March 19th, 2013. So this is the one that her hair is back and she has the striped collar. Like she looks like she just got busted at an illegal poker game. So that's it. We're at the last mugshot, you guys. (laughs) I'm so relieved we did it. We did it. And hopefully it will be her last mugshot ever. But as of today, as of Sunday, November 27th, 2022, we've covered Lindsay's last mugshot. I'm so Thankful to you guys for joining me on this journey through all of her legal troubles. So before she entered rehab, Lindsay went back to work with the perfect person to go back to work with after you have been once again sentenced to probation, community service, rehab, and mandatory psychotherapy. And that person is Charlie Sheen. (laughs) I can't even say it. You guys... I get that Lindsay wasn't being offered movies with Meryl Streep anymore, right? But is the best person for her to be around during this very delicate time Charlie fucking Sheen? I can't. I can't. First of all, she shouldn't have been going back to work at all. But if she was going to be going back to work, it shouldn't be around somebody like Charlie. And I get that around this time, like I said before, it's like he was trying to be squeaky clean and, you know, everything's fine. But still... Anyways she ends up filming this guest spot on his show Anger Management and it actually is kind of a funny cameo. She's playing herself and Charlie says hey I've gotten us powdered donuts and so they eat the donuts and then the paparazzi takes a picture of them with white powder all over their face and of course it looks like they're doing coke together and you know it was kind of poking fun at the fact that once you do reach that level of fame and you have misbehaved so much every single thing you do is going to be scrutinized. You can't just enjoy a donut without people thinking that you're on a coke binge. And it's like, I mean, Lindsay's not as bad as Charlie by any stretch of the imagination. Like if you think that they're in the same league, just please, please Google Charlie and spend two minutes reading about him. You will see why Lindsay is nowhere near as bad as this man. But when you do live the kind of life that Lindsay has lived, and even more so Charlie Sheen, you kind of almost... Ask for this type of press, but at the same time it is brutal and unfair, especially for somebody like Lindsay who became famous before she was really able to consent to being famous. And yes, after she turned 18, she did definitely fuel the fire but i just tend to have more empathy for child stars because because as i've said before during the series you don't really know what you're getting into she didn't realize when she signed on to do the parent trap that she was signing on for everything that came after that right like you could say oh well why doesn't she just get a normal job at some point and try to be a normal person It's very hard to be a normal person after you've become famous. I mean, even somebody like John Gosselin, who never had any intention of being famous or being in entertainment and then found his life in this place where he was... You know, every time he's working a normal job, like I saw that he was DJing and he was a waiter at one point and people were like, look at John Gosselin, the waiter. And it's like, well, yeah, he has eight children. He needs to support them and he's not on reality TV anymore. Like, what do you guys expect him to do? So I think it's great that Lindsay can make fun of that side of her life and get a paycheck while she's doing it. Even if it is Charlie Sheen that hooked her up with the job. After that, Lindsay flew to Brazil. (laughs) I know, I know. The decisions being made were not good. So, she, of course, was at a San Paulo, Brazil nightclub promoting a clothing line. And the reason why she went to do this is because she was paid $100,000 to do so. And apparently, the company wasn't very happy with her because she decided to hide under a table during this club appearance rather than getting out there and showing the clothes off, I guess. Apparently, she was able to keep the salary, which thank God, because our girl needed money at this point. And of course, she got a lot of bad press for being seen in a nightclub after her sentencing. It's like, okay, you know, people weren't taking her seriously because it's like you get sentenced and then the next person you're seen with is Charlie Sheen, even though it was a job still. It doesn't look great. And then you fly to Brazil and you're in a nightclub. It's like, you need to stop partying. What are you doing? And I think that's why she was hiding under the table because she didn't want to be tempted and she really didn't have a choice. Like she had to take this job. It was $100,000. And so that's where she's between a rock and a hard place because it's like, she has to make money at this point. She's like really going broke. So she has to take any decent deal that she gets. But unfortunately, that ends up putting her in an awkward position whether it's being in a movie like Scary Movie 5, which is about to come out, that is definitely way below her potential and is kind of sad that she's even in that movie, or it's in some type of club scenario or a party situation you know in this era club appearances were still really really popular that was how a lot of reality stars and lower level celebrities made their money and Lindsay could have been making a lot of money if she decided to do these club appearances but she couldn't because she was genuinely trying to stay sober and going to a club when you're trying to stay sober is the most counterproductive thing that you could possibly do so Lindsay flies back to the states to promote Scary Movie 5 and she does a now infamous appearance on Letterman that people kind of rediscovered in 2021 post Me Too and Time's Up and were horrified when they saw it through a more current lens because Lindsay is there trying to be on the straight and narrow trying to promote this movie Again, it's sad enough that it's Scary Movie 5 that she's promoting, right? Obviously, it takes a lot for her to buck up and do that and be like, yes, I am promoting Scary Movie 5. I used to promote things like The Parent Trap, and now I'm here promoting a movie where I do a five-minute scene where I'm banging Charlie Sheen during the entire thing. You know what I mean? Like, That's not easy for her to do. And David Letterman has to bring up everything going on, which of course he's going to and Lindsay handles it so beautifully. She stays so calm during the whole thing and I love it. She actually does kind of take the power back from him because he has a list of questions and he has a list of her offenses and he says to her like, can I read this? And she goes, let me see it. And she grabs it and she goes, I thought you were going to be nice. Like, no, you can't read this and stuff. And she goes, this is my show now. You're not doing this. We're not doing this. And I really applaud her, first of all, for not just taking the pressure and – cowering to whatever he was going to say or letting him lead the conversation to wherever he wanted it but also for just keeping calm and staying very dignified and I really do think she handled it well but I also think that he didn't go as hard on her as some people have suggested like yes it was pretty uncalled for for him to just go in and be like aren't you supposed to be in rehab now
1: uh, aren't you supposed to aren't you supposed to be in rehab now do are you, not watch anything that goes on the tabloid now. No, now here's what May I, 2nd. I was under the May 2nd. Yes. And how long will you be in rehab? Uh, three months. How many times have you been in rehab? Several. And what what how will this time be different? What are they rehabbing, first of all? What what is on their list? <laughs> what what are they gonna work on when you walk through the door?
2: We didn't discuss in the pre- this in the pre-interview.
1: No, but but <laughs> it'll be three months, and and you're no, looking- I
2: think I think to be honest, I'm I'm the happiest when I'm working and the healthiest, and I think this is an opportunity for me to, you know, focus on what I love in life, and I don't think it's a bad thing.
1: Uh, do you have a- addiction problems?
2: No, you sound like Dr. Phil.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is is it uh, like alcohol? Do you drink too much?
2: We've discussed this in the past. Who
1: well, did we really? When did we discuss? Well,
2: because it? We so have I'm the
1: one who's having the blackouts. <laughs> what, is, what is that like?
2: I'm <laughs> just saying. I ought to be in rehab.
1: For the <laughs> love of God. So now, um, uh, when you when you go to the rehab, what do well, they well, do? let
2: let's. This is we have to. work here for a movie. We have to what? Let's stay on the positive. Oh, what
0: i Like trying. aside from that side of the positive. Yeah. It wasn't great, but I think Lindsay was so well-versed in handling things like this that it actually went a lot better than it could have. And I was surprised that people were that outraged by it in 2021 because I just think of this business as being so cruel to people like Lindsay that I'm like... Yeah, like (laughs) this is the way that it was, you know, overall, I think he could have been better to her, especially because she had come on the show so much over the years. And, you know, you want that professional familiarity there, both for yourself and for your audience to appreciate the rapport between the host and the celebrity over the years like there are certain people that I loved watching with Letterman because as a viewer I had seen so many interviews over the years and Lindsay was one of those people and I I think that he could have been more decent to her while still getting his little jokes in and at one point Lindsay even says like this wasn't part of the pre-interview like she's saying that as a professional being like hey there's a pre-interview here and you're going off script and even though she probably knew they were going to do that just because that's the way these things kind of go it was still inappropriate so I'm happy that he got called out on it but honestly it's Letterman like he's considered a god in this industry like just very typical older white successful man in the business who has to answer for very little You know, and even when he does have to answer for things, people just kind of forget about it. So it's interesting that he doesn't have a regular show anymore. I know he has his Netflix one. And I wonder if Lindsay will go back on that or if she took the 2013 interview personally at all. I would say that she probably didn't. And I'm thinking she would go back and do another interview with Letterman. But I guess we don't really know. We'll just have to see in the future if she appears on his Netflix show. On April 11th, Lindsay appeared on the red carpet at the Scary Movie 5 premiere, and she looked really good. I love her hairstyle here, and I love the dress as well, but she had fresh cheek filler that she really didn't need, and I just hope I'm never one of these women who doesn't realize my own natural beauty and is just like pumping their face full of things trying to, I don't know, look better. But it it's just, it's so straight Like it makes me so sad when I see people get procedures done that just don't work. But at the same time, I think anyone should be able to do whatever they want to their body or face if it makes them feel better. So I hope she was feeling confident, but I think she looks so much better now without her face full of lip filler and cheek filler and all that kind of stuff. That said, her appearance in the movie itself, and I only watched the first scene of the movie because that's the only scene that Lindsay's in, so if you wanna go take a look, you can. It's just a couple minutes of a scene, and it actually is a decently funny scene. Charlie Sheen and Lindsay are playing themselves, and they're in bed together, and it's making fun of Charlie and all of his scandals and at the same time Lindsay and all of her scandals and it's also a parody of paranormal activities so it's like partially filmed from a camera on the wall you know what I mean and it is funny there are some funny gags in it like I do think all of the crazy like sexual stuff that they show is very funny it's very silly so it's not actually sexual like it's not uncomfortable to watch it's just like so goofy and my favorite gag is actually when it seems like Charlie Sheen is getting another hard-on after like hours of sexual activity with Lindsay and a whole clown car of clowns and a horse and all of this kind of stuff it seems like he's getting another hard-on but it's actually his cat under the blanket he like shoos the cat away and he says get out of here Emilio and that to me was the funniest part because his brother is Emilio Estevez and they were like joking that his cat is named Emilio like I thought that was the funniest part of it honestly so again I'm just gonna say at least people like Lindsay and Charlie which again I am not saying that they are on equal footing. But people that have gone through public controversies, I do think the best thing that you can do for that is make fun of yourself. And I don't think it was a bad appearance overall for Lindsay. I think that she wanted to be on set and she wanted to be working and this probably wasn't the worst job that she could have had at the time because at least it made a few people laugh. Right after the premiere, Lindsay flies to Coachella... (laughs) Guys, it's so hard for me to report on all of this. Like, every single time I say another bad decision that Lindsay made into this microphone, I cringe. It hurts me. But yeah, she went to Coachella, and I think she was just trying to get in all the big party experiences that she possibly could before she had to go to rehab. So on May 2nd, Lindsay tried to check into rehab, but then she actually had to leave because the facility that she checked into did not reach the qualifications of her sentencing, So she moved to the Betty Ford Clinic the next day. So the day after Lindsay enters rehab, this interview for Event Magazine that Lindsay had done with Piers Morgan came out. And it's actually a pretty good interview. He asks her to imagine if she went back in time and did not get the part in the parent trap, would her life have been better? And she replied, no. I believe things happen for a reason. He said, you don't regret anything? She replied, no, I live without regrets. There are certain things I have done, mistakes that I made, that I would change, but I don't regret them at all because I've learned from them. They talk a lot about Lindsay's childhood and family issues, specifically with her father. Lindsay revealed that she went to therapy for the first time when she was 13 because she didn't want to burden her mother with everything that was on her mind. Lindsay said that her father always had a bigger problem with drugs than he did alcohol, particularly cocaine. Lindsay said he won't change. I just think there comes a where you just have to kind of accept what it is. Whenever I do try to bring him back into my life, he creates chaos for me and uses it to his advantage. He's been really good and then really crazy my whole life. I was never afraid of him, but my younger siblings were terrified. My first instinct was always to make sure that they and my mom were okay. Okay. She said that her father was never physically abusive toward her, but that he threw a TV remote at her brother's head, and that was very scary. He asked how all of this affected her, and she said, It was depressing. I was being pulled in different directions all the time and never had time to just sit and relax. Very interesting to think about that, right? Imagine being a famous child. (laughs) You know what I mean? And part of your day is being on set with people like Bette Midler or Jamie Lee Curtis, and then part of your day is your dad throwing a remote at your brother's head, everybody crying, everybody screaming, the cops being called, freaking out. You're on top of the world in one way where you're having red carpet events and people screaming your name and wanting to talk to you and wanting your autograph and loving you just because you appeared in a movie and feeling amazing and like you're making people laugh and entertaining people and you're living your dream. But At the end of the day, you're just kind of like a powerless child, too, because you're at the mercy of what is going on with your parents. And on top of that, the media is going to report on all of that, too. And oh, by the way, because you're the rich and famous one, even though you're a child, a lot of the burden to take care of everybody is going to fall on your shoulders. I mean, I know that I've said a lot of the things that I just said multiple times throughout this series, but it's because I have empathy for Lindsay and I just really want people to understand all of the different things that go into a life like this. Like, it's not just as simple as saying, oh, she had so many chances and she squandered them. It's so much more complicated than I could even get into here. Lindsay said that she was relatively clean as a teenager and that she didn't have a drink until she was 17. She said that her mom made her sleep with vomit still on her shirt so that she would understand how it felt. Kind of like when you rub a dog's nose in the pee that it left on the carpet, you know, like she was just like, You're keeping that vomit-filled t-shirt on, then you have to deal with it all night. That's gross, right? Like, I don't know if I agree with that, but it clearly didn't work because the clean living stopped as soon as Lindsay moved to LA. And as I've said throughout this series, like, that was the turning point. Dina says it multiple times, Lindsay says it multiple times over many years, many different interviews, that she should have listened to her mother and not moved to LA. And Dina even told Oprah in the Lindsay series she had three kids in school in New York, she couldn't pick everybody up and just move to LA with Lindsay. And Lindsay's an 18-year-old who's a multimillionaire and powerful in the business. Dina couldn't stop her. And then all the events that we've talked about over the series transpired. Lindsay tells Piers that she's never taken heroin. She's never injected herself with any drug. She's never done LSD or psychedelics because those type of things scare her. She says that people think that she does cocaine all the time, but she's only done it four or five times because it reminds her of her father. I don't necessarily believe that she only did it four or five times, but I can't imagine the turmoil inside of her being like, ooh, this drug is fun, I enjoy it, but also at the same time it reminds me of my dad who has abused my mother and my family. Like that's horrible. So I do think that alcohol is her main demon she said the main thing that got her into trouble was ignoring her issues so when she was 19 20 and things started to get really bad and she was getting DUIs and she was getting in trouble she still didn't have a wake-up call because she just wanted to pretend like it wasn't really happening and she didn't trust anybody and she didn't want to listen to anyone so she just kind of gave the excuse of like oh I'm just young and I'm you know I'm just figuring things out but really she had a real problem she wasn't facing it and that's what ended up leading to her continuing to have problems throughout her 20s into her late 20s. Lindsay said her mother kept trying to convince her to leave LA and come back home to New York and she says she should have listened to her but she didn't want to be in New York because that's where her dad was and she wanted to be as far away from him as she possibly could. So Piers asked do you blame your dad for what happened in your life and she says no. I don't blame anyone but myself. I just didn't want him in my life at that point because he was causing chaos. He wasn't being a father. I even caught him cheating on my mom once at his mother's place. He disappeared for five days, so I asked my mom if we could go to my grandmother's house and see if he was there. I got out of the car when we arrived, and I saw him diving into the pool with some woman. So I ran into the house and checked her ID to see who she was. I remember running back to the car and feeling sick. I didn't tell mom until we got home. That woman was the one he had a secret child with, which came out in the press recently. I mean, just think about the fact how messed up it is that I even know about this, that you even know about this, that the world reads about these very personal things. I mean, yes, Lindsay's sitting here putting it all out there, but sometimes it feels good to get it out. Lindsay claims that she's never been a huge drinker, which I don't believe. Obviously, I just said that I think that that's her main demon. So Piers calls her out on this and he's like, well, if you're not a big drinker and you don't take a lot of drugs, why are you going back to rehab? And she says, this is where it gets hard for me to explain. I don't think there's any Wrong with people taking time to just be by themselves. I think people want to see me do that. They will keep saying the same things about me if I don't. I don't think it will be a bad thing for me to be away with myself for three months he says do you think you personally need this treatment and she says I don't think I need to be on lockdown for three months I don't think that's rehab so the whole reason that she's going to rehab this time is because she's court ordered to do it like that's the real answer here you know she says that out of her six rehab stays there was only one time that she went in voluntarily during the making of I know who killed me she said it was really hard on her so she wanted to be in the facility and as you can see she's having trouble admitting still that she's like an alcoholic and she's an addict. She mentions going to an AA meeting on the set of I Know Who Killed Me and he says oh an AA meeting so you're an alcoholic and she replies no I don't think so. Girl. So she continues But when I was younger, I was definitely going out too much and I was drinking too much. I was accused of everything, even stealing a necklace. I'd never steal a necklace. They didn't show the real in-store videotape to anyone because that shows the store attendant putting it on me and me taking out cash to pay for it. And she's saying, no, you can just bring it back tomorrow. So there's like a slew of things that have gone on like that, which have been such a strain. (laughs) I'm not even going to get into the whole necklace thing again, but like even that, what, what Lindsay just said there does not make sense. Pierce asks Lindsay about her sexuality and she says that she likes boys and that she's straight, but she was in love with Samantha Ronson at one point and she still loves her as a person. He asks if she's still taking any drugs and she says she takes Adderall because she has ADD and she can't stay still, and that she's also taking a tranquilizer to sleep in small doses. She says she's not a pill popper. She says the happiest moment of her life was the day that she got the parent trap role, which I think says a lot, right? It's kind of like full circle from his first question. And then as far as her worst moment of her life, she said the day that she had to turn herself into jail and she had to see her mother's face. She said, I spent 12 days inside and I felt utter shock and cried for four days straight she had high hopes for this rehab stay she said that being in new york and being around her family was the perfect thing to do before going into rehab and she sees it as a positive experience that she has to go do this and honestly i think it did kind of work right because even though there's still some trouble and issues after this we have reached the end of the mugshots. so again thank you for being with me during this journey i'm scarred i'm traumatized but i think i'm gonna be okay In June, Lindsay moved from the Betty Ford Rehab Clinic to a Malibu rehab center where she got a very lovely tan and then four days out of rehab, she does an interview with Oprah and starts filming the infamous Lindsay series for the OWN Network. That is a whole other can of worms. So we are going to talk about that next time. Was it a good idea for her to be on camera filming her first ever reality series, docuseries type of thing? I mean, I guess you could count the one that she did in India, but that was obviously not about her. It was for a completely separate purpose and was about child trafficking over there and trying to raise awareness toward that. So being the focus of a docu-series like this, when you're going through this incredibly transitioning period of your life and you need to have as little going on as possible so you can just focus on sobriety, was not a good idea. And I think it's kind of funny and ironic how Oprah acts the whole time. Like... (laughs) You know, like, she has her best interest at heart, but it's like, girl, you're doing a docuseries on her. Like, if you're really that concerned with helping her, why don't you just help her privately? Like, why don't you just meet without a camera there? You know what I mean? And I'm not even shading Oprah because I love Oprah, but it's just like, I just think it's funny how even the supposed heroes in this story are not really heroes, because it's like, is this series going to make you money, Oprah, or is it not? I think it is. So if you really care about this person, why don't you just... Tell them to turn the cameras off and give her a private lecturing. And by all accounts, there were a lot of private exchanges between Oprah and Lindsay, and apparently that did continue over the years. So bravo to Oprah for not filming those. I just don't think the best thing was for her to be doing an interview, an in-depth interview, right out of rehab. I think she should have just taken some time to herself to be low-key without a camera in her face. You know, no wonder throughout the whole series she's like refusing to film and stuff like that because she doesn't want to be filmed right now. But I mean, I'm guessing that the reason why she did say yes to this was the money aspect of it like she needed the money and there's even that one episode of the show where the production company is like taking back their checks that they had issued her and she needs those checks to be able to get the keys to her new apartment because she has to put the down payment down but then the production company is revoking her checks because they're like girl you're not even filming this documentary that we're paying you to do as we're filming it it's like it's crazy right but we're, we're gonna get into the show next time and I'm gonna review it episode by episode on my patreon so look out for that but the way we're gonna end this episode is we are going to talk about the canyons so this movie was shown for the first time on July 29th, 2013, and then had a limited release. It was in art house cinemas and stuff in New York and LA before eventually being released on video on demand, which is where it ended up making back most of its investment, which is interesting, right? Because today in 2022, post-COVID, that's the name of the game. Tons of people are doing that now. That is makes a lot of money back for these films. And The Canyons was kind of innovative in that way at the time. That's one of the only saving graces of this film. I have not seen this since it came out because I remember watching it being so disappointed and just thinking the Lindsay that I've been a fan of forever. Like, how how is this the same person? It really hurt to watch, you know? I watched it last night for this recording and... I still hated it, but I appreciate Lindsay's performance in a different way now. And most people agree with me that this is not a great movie. If you feel differently, please DM me. I would love to hear your thoughts. But it has a 21% on the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes and a 15% audience score. So this is like one of the rare times where the audience was even less impressed than the critics. And the Rotten Tomatoes summary says, oppressively misanthropic and ineptly made the canyon serves as a sour footnote in Paul Schrader's career but it does feature some decent late period work from Lindsay Lohan and I agree that's exactly what I would call her work in this movie is decent now maybe instead I would say uneven because I feel that Lindsay was going through a lot of turmoil during the making of this movie just like she was during most of everything I'm reporting on in these episodes and a lot of this was revealed in a famous New York Times article called Here's What Happens When You Cast Lindsay Lohan in Your Movie. There was a cartoon animation of Lindsay like falling and crashing on the cover of the New York Times Magazine. And it said how to catch a falling star. And there was even a follow-up printed a few months later because this article was so popular. I mean, people were just chomping at the bit for more news of Lindsay being erratic and unhinged and all of this. You can go read the whole article for yourself. It's easily Googleable. But basically Lindsay just can't get out of her own way. Like she seems really excited to be making this movie. And like I said earlier in the episode, it is a movie with Hollywood pedigree. Even though the movie itself isn't any good, Paul Schrader and Brett Easton Ellis really did have some great work under their belt. So it was actually kind of impressive that Lindsay was getting to work with them this wasn't scary movie five you know like this was a real role in a real movie but ellis and schrader were having trouble raising the money for this film and along with the producer braxton pope they each put up thirty thousand dollars of their own money to help get it made and that combined with a kickstarter campaign ended up equaling a budget of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars And ultimately, the film made $265,670. So it did recoup the budget. And I really respect those three men for putting up their own money because they didn't have, they weren't like extremely wealthy Hollywood guys. I always think it's crazy when these super wealthy people just will not put up any money for their own movie and it just has to be funded by somebody else. And it's like, Well, if you don't even believe in your own movie enough to put up money, why are you expecting other people to? So I respect the whole process here. I just think this movie had too many things working against it for it to ever be good. And unfortunately, one of those things was the casting of Lindsay. But at the same time... There are a couple of priceless moments in this movie where Lindsay does a really, really good job, particularly in the final scene. I think this is Lindsay's most raw performance, and I think that because of the chaos, both just on set and in her life in general, that's what led to such a raw performance. So it's kind of like one couldn't have existed without the other. This article also chronicles how Lindsay was actually fired because she wasn't showing up to meetings and things like that leading up to the movie. So Schrader fired her because he was like, look, once we start filming, if Lindsay disappears, we're screwed. Like, remember how Lindsay was uninsurable? This film didn't even have insurance. They didn't insure Lindsay for this. So if Lindsay bailed, or God forbid, one of the reasons why other companies would not insure her for more legit films is because they were like, what if she dies in the middle of the movie and we've filmed half the movie and we don't have enough money to reshoot it with another actress? Our movie is completely gone. So basically, they were afraid that Lindsay was going to start filming her part in this movie and then she was going to disappear and basically hold the movie hostage because there was no way that they were going to have the money to replace her and reshoot everything because they were not insured. So... (laughs) I mean, what? Like, what a mess, right? There is an infamous scene in this movie that is a four-way sex scene with Lindsay Lohan, her co-star, James Dean. And of course, I am not talking about the 50s icon, James Dean, D-E-A-N. I am talking about the porn star, James Dean, D-E-E-N, which before his whole mess that made him infamous with Vera Abraham, James Dean was actually kind of a popular porn star that was starting to break into the mainstream and he was so popular because he was kind of known as the woman's favorite porn star right because there's this trope that like women aren't really into porn and men are super into porn and that is true kind of like most porn is made for men which is why even though there definitely are some scenarios that I enjoy watching for the most part if I just turn on a random clip of porn, I'm going to be like, this isn't for me because they are targeted toward like a very small group of just like straight men or whatever, you know. But a lot of women at the time were showing James Dean and his porn scenes to their husbands and boyfriends and saying, this is how I want you to do it. Can you please do it like this? Because he was so skilled in the bedroom. Now, I don't know if anybody else remembers this, but do you remember there was like a porn scene with James Dean that went viral around, like when he first started getting popular, like right before the Canyons. And it was him, and I want to say it was a porn star named Nicole, and the premise was like, she was babysitting and then put the kid to bed and invited her boyfriend over, and it was James. And he like bangs her on the couch and he just did like a really good job of that so people were like it like it went kind of like viral women were sending it to their friends like damn i wish my man would do this So James Dean was kind of like breaking through to the mainstream, and the fact that he even had a leading role in like a Paul Schrader movie was pretty amazing, and a lot of people really like his performance in this movie, but I have to say I'm not fond of it, although I don't like the script, so I'm not really sure what he could have done with it, but actually, one of the reasons why this movie seems so disjointed is because... There are some really good scenes where Lindsay's giving a great performance and I also think this other actor who plays Ryan in the movie Nolan Funk I think he is actually good as well and I think that both of them feel like they're in the wrong movie because they're talented and the rest of the cast doesn't really do that good of a job so the whole thing just feels very uneven disjointed and overall it exists in this alternate universe where there's just all of these really good looking people who have absolutely no substance and they just kind of walk around their mansions and sleep with tons of people and lie and cheat and steal and murder. And it's just stupid. Like it has no basis in, reality at all and like you're supposed to believe certain people are in love with other people but there's no chemistry there and there are no dialogue scenes involved to make you understand the connection between these two people as much as maybe you would like to in a movie but anyway there's this foursome scene that Lindsay had to be a part of and It's such an awkward scene, first of all, because there's talking during it, but the talking doesn't line up with the mouth moving, which I get is a stylistic choice, but it was a bad one, and Lindsay had to sign a contract and agree to do this scene and show her breasts in the movie, not just in this scene, but multiple times, and when it came time to shoot the scene, Lindsay refused to do it. She locked herself in a closet. She wouldn't come out, and actually, this is so inappropriate and would never happen today, but... What Paul Schrader did to get her to do it, he was trying to make her feel more comfortable, but for some reason, I'm going to assume that that didn't happen. He stripped down naked and was just standing there in front of her, balls out, like, hey, I'm naked too, you know, like if it makes you feel any better in solidarity, I'm naked too. And I really believe he wasn't trying to be gross. I think he really was just trying to be like, hey, if you want, if you want, I'll be naked during this too, you know. And Lindsay screamed and was like, no, no, no. That would never happen today, ever. But that's just an example of the craziness that was going on on the set of this movie And they ended up filming the four-way scene in just one continuous take. They only did it once. It was done. I don't understand the point of the scene. It's like, honestly, all the nudity in this movie seems like so forced, especially with Lindsay. Like, it feels like they're saying like, look, it's Lindsay Lohan naked. Because there's like multiple times that you see her boobs and it's just like not necessary to see her boobs at that moment. Although I'm sure the filmmakers would disagree because they chose to put it there. And I do... that there are certain movies where nudity or sex scenes can just be gratuitous but this movie lacks such substance that it just feels egregious and stupid at the point that we see nudity. So this movie is about Lindsay and her boyfriend played by James and we find out in the movie That she's only with him basically because he's rich and he gives her a good life. Because before this, she was with Ryan. He's played by Nolan Funk, the only other good actor in the movie. They were in love, but they were both struggling actors and everything was really hard. She just couldn't take it. She couldn't take being a normal person (laughs) trying to make ends meet. And she's like, I'm not going back to that. I need a rich boyfriend and you can tell that it does break her heart a little bit to leave behind the guy she actually loves for this like asshole but she does it because that's the kind of lifestyle that she wants and so part of being this guy's girlfriend is he wants to basically like every night have a random girl or guy or couple over to the house to have a threesome or foursome And you can tell that she's not super into it. She just does it because it buys her the lifestyle that she wants. It's just so, like, sad and soulless. And I get it. Like, that's the point, right? That's also kind of nicely juxtaposed with these opening shots of, like, these dead movie houses. You know, like, abandoned cinemas and things like that. So, like, all of this is fine. Like, I get what they were trying to do and I get what they were going for. It just doesn't quite work for me. But I do think that this is worth watching if you're a big Lindsay fan like me because you do get to see her just being very raw, especially in that final scene. Like if you're like, I don't want to watch this movie, it sounds bad. Just watch the last like 10 minutes, the final scene with Lindsay and James Dean very very good performance from Lindsay in there and overall I think the film does kind of capture a moment in time in that from scene to scene you don't really know what you're gonna get it's like sometimes Lindsay looks like very beautiful and fresh and you can tell that like she probably had a good night the night before and then the next scene it's like she's wearing really heavy makeup and looks a little puffy in the face and you're like girl and they even chronicle the night that Lady Gaga was staying at the chateau and Lindsay's call time was 6am but she partied with Gaga until 5.30am so So maybe that was one of the days that you know she was looking a little tired on the set and it's just like I said it's uneven but the filmmakers ultimately say that they were happy that they got to work with Lindsay because she does give a great performance but she didn't promote the movie at all because at the time that the movie was being taken to the Venice Film Festival which was one of the only ones they got into they had wanted to get into Sundance but they didn't so getting into Venice was huge and Lindsay said she really wanted to go to Venice like who wouldn't want to go to Venice to promote a movie you're starring in she's like I want to go but I don't think it's the best choice for my health because she was trying to stay sober So they were very disappointed that she didn't promote it more. Because not only did she not go to Venice, but she didn't promote it in New York. She didn't promote it in LA. She didn't promote it. And I think they were like, well, you went on freaking Letterman and promoted (laughs) Scary Movie 5. Like, this is an actual real role for you. Like, come on, Lindsay. Like, do your part. Promote it. And I understand where they're coming from. But I also, I don't think she was being lazy or anything by not promoting this movie. I think that she just really didn't want to be in a situation where she's being celebrated and the champagne is popping and all of that kind of stuff is going on. And I do think that she made the right choice because ultimately, like, how many more people was she going to convince to see this by going on a big press tour? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think the reward was really worth The risk. If the movie had been great, it would have picked up steam and word of mouth by itself. It had enough exposure just by Lindsay being in the movie. She didn't have to go on this big tour and do all these shows and do all these premieres and parties and be in a festival atmosphere in Europe and all of that kind of stuff. The movie ended up doing okay for what it was. And if it had been a great movie, it would have done better just by virtue of people talking about it, which they were. So let's get into a couple reviews here. The Nashville scene said Lindsay Lohan's VOD vehicle, The Canyons, is the most interesting American movie of the moment. If you look at how Lohan had to grow up, it's amazing she kept it together as long as she did. I agree. There's not a single image in The Canyons that a Approaches the horrifying majesty of I Know Who Killed Me's final shot. But anyone who expects that Lohan has nothing to offer viewers is sorely mistaken. They said that she tears into the role with fierce energy, walking the fine line between dominance and desperation in several scenes that hit way harder than you think they would, especially after reading so much of the vitriol directed this film's way it's a fearless and messy performance alive and immersive and horrifying in ways few actors would dare I agree I think that what Lindsay showed in her performance is past what a lot of actors like to show and I think it's also what a lot of actors wish they could show like her vulnerability in certain scenes is a very beautiful contrast to the confidence that she shows throughout the whole movie Isleseat.com says it gives me great pleasure to say Lindsay Lohan makes a scorching comeback in this film. As with Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler, Lohan's well-documented real-life problems prove to be an asset to her performance. Tara, that's her character, is burned out, a bit dazed, and completely frustrated by the Hollywood lifestyle. Some may accuse Lohan of appearing distant or detached from the role, but I don't think that's true. The actress is clearly tapping into her own experiences, not to mention her own demons, to portray an almost thoroughly broken woman, one who doesn't know how to extricate herself from the subculture that has destroyed her. This is one of those cases where a performer seems to be identifying with the material on a deeper than normal level. It reminds us not only of the promise Lohan once held, but also of the promise that's still there. Very true. Like, it's an interesting juxtaposition, right? Because, like, part of the time you're saying, Oh, this is so sad that, like, Lindsay is starring in this movie instead of a better movie. But then at the same time, you're watching her performance and you're like, She's actually still damn good. Like, she knows what she's doing in this movie. It's just a messy type of performance because it's not the best movie and because of everything that she was still going through at the time. And if you read the article, you know, the what it's like to cast Lindsay in your movie, it's clear that she was trying so hard. She even gets tears in her eyes one of the times that she's talking to the reporter and she's like I'm really trying I'm really trying because he's saying to her after watching her film some scenes how good she is and it just reminds us all of like oh my god you know that she should have so much more than this and she should be so much more than this right now and That's where I'm going to end it for today. But again, I cannot stress how happy I am to be reporting on this in 2022 when she's just had a really successful movie release and she's happy and she's healthy and she looks great and everything seems like it's so much better in her life. Thank you, thank you, thank you everyone for following with this series and waiting so patiently for this installment. I promise you will not have to wait as long for the next installment. I am so grateful for all your support and I cannot wait to continue on this journey with you. We're almost there. We've almost made it through Lindy's beautiful, crazy La Bella Vita. So thank you again for listening and I'll see you guys next week. Bye everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Ashley and Jessica. Cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Capriamoon. That's at C A P R I A M O O N. And follow the podcast at Ashley and Jessica on Instagram and at Ashley Jessica on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on the show. I would absolutely love to hear Ashley and at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.